Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Hello, ladies. I'm Zach Stafford, and you're listening to Vibe Check, the water edition. All right. I am so excited. Today, I am solo. No Saeed, no Sam. I'm by my lonesome, uh, which is scary, but also exciting. It's really exciting because I am joined by a really, really special person who I love dearly. And that person is the one and the only Jenna Wortham. If you're not familiar with Jenna Wortham, Jenna is a culture writer for the New York Times, co-host for the New York Times podcast, Still Processing, which Jenna hosts with Wesley Morris. Jenna is an author of the book, Black Futures with Kimberly Drew, my wife, my everything, my one of my favorite people in the world. And Jenna's also at work on a really, really special book about disassociation and the body. And that book is kind of the reason we're, we're speaking today, because earlier this year, uh, Jenna wrote a piece that really just struck me. Uh, it was a piece about Jenna's visit to Zipolite in Mexico, a beach I've been to before. But in the piece, Jenna discloses that they got naked on a beach that I refuse to get naked on, and it opened up a new window for them to consider nudity in the body and pleasure. So today, our conversation, without spoiling anything, is about all of those things, about how we all can find our own special places where we can feel alive, safe, and most importantly, free. So without further ado, I'd like to throw to myself and my conversation with the great Jenna Wortham. Enjoy. Well, Jenna, you know, as a listener of the show, you know that we like to begin with a vibe check. So I must know, what's your vibe today? How are you feeling? How are you feeling in your body? Oh my gosh, I've dreamt 
about being asked this question for so long. (laughs) The vibes are really high, my friend. I am very firmly located in my body, which is a gift. I am really riding all the highs and some of the lows of cancer season. I feel Mm. completely dilated and raw and just cracked open. Like I'm just... I saw Spider-Man 2 and just like couldn't stop crying. Like I, and I love it. Like I want uh. everything actually right now to be on the surface, but it does mean moving through the world with a lot of intention, care, and thoughtfulness because you know in, in Rocket when Beyonce's like let the river run through me, like that is the rivers mm-hmm. are running through me right now. <laughs> I love that. And it's kind of perfect for our conversation today cuz today I think requires for both of us to be a bit cracked open. Uh, because I want to talk about nudity with you, (laughs) which, you know, isn't because I'm super voyeuristic, but there's a real professional reason. And it's because you wrote an essay earlier this year about it. And, you know, before we jump into it, I have to tell you something I haven't told anyone yet besides uh, my dear boyfriend. Uh, But guess what I did to prepare for today just for you? (laughs) I can't wait. What? I drove to Black's Beach, south of L.A., which is a little beach outside of San Diego that is a nude beach. And I have never in my life been naked on a beach and I got naked just for you, Jenna Wortham. What? How was it? This yeah. is incredible. <laughs> oh my God. Tell me everything. Isn't it? Well, I'm going to tell you everything. But before we go there, I want to begin with you and your trip because it was your trip to Zipolite that really inspired me. So can we start there and then we'll move to me and then we're going to make this a big magical thing for everyone listening? Because I think at the end of this, I want everyone to go to a nude beach. I think that's my, my ask for everybody after this. <laughs> so for context... You released an essay in March, I believe, of 2023 in New York Times called Want to Love Your Body? Try Swimming Naked, which is a piece I immediately clicked on because it's you. But also it's a piece where you went to Zipolite, which is a queer Mexican village or enclave in Oaxaca, Mexico. So talk to us about what took you there. What made you want to write this piece for all of us to read? Wow. Yes. Well, you know, I've I've been researching re-speech in Queens, which is, you know, all the gay New Yorkers know that's our little slice of trash heaven. And it is a really <laughs> magical place that is being transformed right now. There is a big demolition that's just happened of two ancient structures that were out there. And that beach has meant everything to me. And, and before I had Zipolete money and before I had Fire Island money, um, I only had <laughs> Reese money, which was $275 uh, and a bus transfer. And so it has meant a lot to me to be able to go there and explore my queerness, explore my body in different stages of gender expression and nudity. And mm-hmm. while I was at Reese a few summers ago, a few people started mentioning Zipulite to me, this nude queer beach in Mexico that I had complicated feelings about traveling to. I mean, you know, it's hard to be an international traveler these days thinking so much about how our footprints shape and reshape geographies, what Americans can do abroad can look a a lot like gentrification here. And I also really wanted to think about if I could answer that question responsibly while visiting this place. And so I pitched this idea. Everybody loved it. And I honestly, Zach, when I got there, I was just like, I truly thought it was going to be like wild things meet spring breakers too. Like I just, I really was like, I'm about to have the wildest, like, Ooh, I'm going to redo all the beach weeks of my high school when I was like not Mm -hmm. out and not even aware enough to know that I wasn't out. Like 
so scared of being my body, so afraid of other people's thoughts about my body. I just was like, I'm about to go ham, you know? (laughs) And I just assumed that would be my time there. And I didn't even think about the fact that it was a nude beach, if I'm honest. I was just like, yeah, it's a nude beach. Like, it just means it'll be very, like, exuberant and free and liberatory. And when I got there, I was like, oh, wow, I'm really having to think about my body in this new way and what I do with it and don't want to do with it. So as soon as I arrived, it just became this whole other story, this whole other trip. And it was really fun and exhilarating to work on because I was just writing on anything. I was like writing in the backs of the books I brought with me. I was writing on the backs of receipts. Like it just wasn't a regular assignment. Like I wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't reporting. I was like, I was talking to people and I was talking to a lot of historians of the place, but I was also just like, whatever was coming to my mind while I was near the water, I was writing down. And that all of that thinking formed the piece, which was really, really fun and new. Yeah. And and, I mean, in the piece you write, I want to quote it a bit. You said, the longer I sat there in my swimwear, surrounded by so many unencumbered people, the more I became aware of my own clad body. My entire life, clothes felt like a necessary protective layer between me and the world. On this beach, they felt like the lead-in bibs you wear to uh, dental x-rays, which yesterday when I was on Black's Beach, I immediately got that because I was naked and a group of people came next to me and my boyfriend and they wouldn't take off their clothes and they felt really out of place, not myself, which was a really interesting experience. And it made me want to ask you, like, what is it about when you finally allow your naked body to be kind of seen in these spaces that all these norms, these anxieties you have around being naked seem to disappear really quickly? Wow. What a great question. I mean, it it was a process for me. Like they didn't disappear. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, Zipulite in terms of the overall population is very, I mean, it's so hard to make generalizations by looking at groups of people, but my, my impressions of the gay communities that were there were mostly cis gay men. And again, Mm. like, I don't, you know, not entirely, and it's hard to tell by looking, um, but that was the sense that I had. And so I think there was a feeling of, do I belong here? Are people going to, yeah, judge my body? I mean, am I fit enough to be here? I mean, there are lots of anxieties that being in a culture of, I mean, you know this so well, I I can imagine. But for me, I was very much like, I don't know what kind of male gaze I'm going to be subjected to. And I I also just haven't Mm -hmm. really thought or cared about that in literal decades. So there was a (laughs) lot of mental Olympics of just trying to figure out what my intentions were for myself what my obsessions were, like what my spirals were, my anxieties were, and then figuring out how to release them. And so the fact that it was this particular population kind of freed me from desire hierarchies and economics, right? Like I was just actually not probably going to meet anybody, you know, because I was just very outside. It felt to me, I was very outside of the politics of desire and it was, it was actually really freeing. And so once I kind of made peace with that, I got really excited and I was like, this is an opportunity for me to really have a deeper relationship to myself independent of anybody else. And and what a gift. And so once I realized that, I was like, let's do it. But I had to do it in a particular way. So I started going to the beach at sunrise. So that would just be me, people doing early yoga on the beach, the fishermen, and then dog walkers. And it was hilarious because I would be like quickly taking off all my clothes, like like hanging them on the rocks that are there and then just like 
going for it. And like, you know, these fishermen, I mean, they were really kind and they, I just felt like a lot of kindness and emptiness. And I felt like I just, I also love the beach in the morning, really special time. Mm. And my eventual goal was like, I want to walk the length of that beach completely nude. Like that was my goal. I was like, if we don't get there, we don't get there. It's fine. No judgment. But like, I want to stroll. I'm trying to stroll down this beach naked. I admire that so much because what listeners should should know about my experience yesterday is that I cheated in some ways. I brought my partner who has seen me naked and allegedly, I guess, likes it enough that he stays around. So, you know, that was plus one. And then two, I allegedly, you know, it's what he tells me. And um, and then two, I didn't uh, stroll the beach. I only sat on my blanket and went into the water and back and forth because my big goal was to swim like Jeanette did, but to walk the beach is a whole other level. So did how was it walking the beach for you? Did you ever make it there? I don't think you cheated, by the way. I think that we all need our training wheels to have new experiences. And we are born imbued with so much shame about our bodies. I mean, mm. so many assumptions projected onto us even before we're born. I mean, it's it's truly a miracle that any of us can do anything, you know? And so I don't think you cheated. I also think that Thank you. with a couple of hours to be naked and go to the water and come back, I mean, that's incredible. I had like 10 days. I had so much time um, to work my way up in, in various comfort levels. And yeah, I did. I did get to that point, you know? And I think it was really joyful and it was really fun and it felt really exhilarating. And I did it a few times and I loved how normalized it felt. Like I loved the feeling of just enjoying my body and kind of not mm. thinking about it you know there's a there's a delicate balance of being embodied and aware of one's body enough to be able to forget it you know and just to be like yeah it's all just functional and that is a gift and a privilege and also just was so wonderful to experience i'm not sure i've ever experienced my body in that way because i don't really get nude at reese by the way like i'll take my top mm -hmm. off sometimes but being a little bit of a known quantity in new york it's something I still haven't wrapped my mind around. Like we're sitting yeah. there talking about the weather and I'm just sort of like, oh, but our nipples just touch. I listen, Jenna, I told uh, Craig, I was like, I love that we're doing this. I'm so happy that you're my person doing this with me, but we will not be going to the big queer side of this beach because if someone comes up to me and says, I love vibe check while I'm naked, I will never, ever recover. <laughs> but I am trying to normalize that though. I'm trying to let that go because I also feel like there is something really powerful about for me, like, I feel like that's my next, that's my next thing yeah. to work through because what's, what's so bad about being experienced. I mean, I, I'm, I'm at a place in my life where I'm very lucky to really, I enjoy my physique. I feel like my, I'm really comfortable with my gender. It's like, I, I don't know. There's like, there's nothing to hide mm -hmm. and there's no reason for me right now in this moment to feel like ashamed or like I, I can't reveal myself. So I'm, I'm really like working through that this summer just to yeah. be like, I hope people recognize me and I hope I'm in like a string bikini bottom and like nothing else or nothing at all. Like I'm, I'm kind of into that right now just for me. But I also know what you're saying because it's overwhelming and it's it's you're trying to exist in one context and then another context presents itself. And so that context collapse is really hard to navigate in the real world. It feels like this tension of uh, before I went, I was thinking I was like, OK, I want to be seen by people I don't know, but I'm really frightened of being seen by people I 
do know. And, and it's a tension. And I felt like I had to give myself grace yesterday to say, like, this is step one of this. Like, I'm letting my partner see me naked in public. I'm letting this random straight couple next to me see me in public. But maybe one day I'll get to a place where, you know, my friend down the that I'm not even that close with, a random person from the Internet can see me. And that will be the next step because it feels like a lifelong journey. Oh, yeah. Because below all of this for me is is truly, you know, my particular um brain diseases, which all have to do with childhood dysfunction, growing up the child of an alcoholic parent. I mean, all of these things are rooted in 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 me and my experience of myself of, of being a people pleaser, a workaholic. I mean, you didn't know I was going to go this deep, but like all the all the various pathologies that I'm kind of always untangling and working out through all the various work that I do in my life and, and spiritual health, emotional, physical, et cetera, mental health. It's all aimed at the same thing. And there's something about yeah you know, really engaging with myself nude in public that brings all of those issues to the surface. And I, I think it's a real testament to how much I've been doing that work that this feels fun. This is really the moment for me to work this out. And I love that because, you know, there's there's one of those sayings that's like, you know, you do the work when you're ready. You're, you find the teachers you need when you're ready for it. And I, I truly believe that I'm not overextending myself. I feel like this is the work I'm I'm kind of meant to do right now. So I also feel like you're in your journey and you'll be where you are. I think I'm also getting to the place where I, I do want to normalize um, being someone who is free. And I, I think, mm -hmm. at least for me right now, that is part of what freedom looks like. Yeah. And it feels like the water itself is the conduit to that freedom. In your piece, you actually say that you can't disassociate in the sea. And so much of your work is about disassociation in the body, which makes me want to know what is it about water beyond you being a water sign, you're a Scorpio, I'm a Pisces. But what is it about water itself that really allows us to be free potentially in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, water is the source of everything. And there are a lot of scholars of oceanic studies and blue spaces who have really informed my thinking. And they include Alexis Pauline Gums, the poet Edouard Glissant, Lucille Clifton, of course, the filmmaker Tourmaline, the list goes on and on. And they talk about the, the harmonies and the symmetries between our bodies and the sea the percentages of water in our bodies is very similar to the percentages of water on earth and, you know, do with that what you will. But I, I do think there is something incredibly meditative and healing about water, even if you don't want to get in the water. Cause I want to acknowledge a lot of people don't like to be in the sea and the sea is also yeah. a source of a lot of historical trauma for us as black Americans. A lot of our legacies are tied up in the pain of what it's meant to traverse bodies of water and be submerged in that water. I, am someone who feels a lot of healing when I enter different bodies of water. And I think there's kind of of a of a rememory to use Toni Morrison's term of like there's a rejoining mm. that happens. Like I feel most connected to my ancestors when I'm in and on the water. And I I know there's a crab person. Like I don't I don't need 23 me to tell me that there are Fisher people in my history, like, <laughs> like my people are from the water. Like it's just true. There is not just of the water, but like we worked on the water. Like, I just know it because the way I feel mm -hmm. so at home and even I've been taking sailing lessons and I'm just like, it's very natural for me to navigate on the water um, in a way that I'm just like, what? Like, there's so many things I can't do. I can't play musical instruments. I can't really, I don't know. There's a lot of like very particular technical things I cannot do with my brain and my hands. And like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not my strength. <laughs> but when I'm on a boat, I'm like, oh, I get this. So I'm like, okay, that's ancestral. That's not, 
that's like bigger mm-hmm. than me in this lifetime. But to your point, I mean, I, I do think that looking at blue is really calming for so many of us. Like I do think blue frequencies are real. I think there is something that happens. I think we need blue spaces the way we need green spaces. Mm, blue spaces. I, with that, Jenna, I need to take a quick pause for us because I have a lot of questions about some specific blue places, specifically one named Fire Island that we both love. But listeners, stay right there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more with Jenna Wortham. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Hey there, Zach Stafford, co-host of Vibe Check. And something I heard really early on in my career was this phrase that has never left me. It is, you can't be what you can't see. And for me, that is so true. All of the Black people I got to grow up and watch on television, be journalists, and so much more, are the foundation to why I continue to have a media career. And that's the case for so, so many people. And if you're looking for the next generation of influential Black voices in media, you can find all of them on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back, and I am so excited to continue this really beautiful, swimming, blue conversation with my dear friend Jenna, uh, who's already inspired me so much. And uh, I want to go even deeper with her into some places that we both love. And I want to talk about, like, why are they places we both love? And one place that comes to mind is Fire Island. But before we get there, Jenna, I just want to point out something you wrote in the piece and then I've been thinking a lot of is that queer place and queer placemaking happens a lot by water. So, you know, in your piece, you mentioned Moonlight, which famously has some really intimate scenes on the beach with Chiron. Um, you know, there's other pieces beyond that, like Itu Mama Tambien, which is, you know, takes place in the fictional beach, Boca del Cielo, which is Zipolite, which is about, you know, just watch that movie. It's amazing, but it's a similar queer space. Um, or even movies like A Single Man, where you see, you know, Colin Firth run into the water, it kind of embracing his body and sexuality, and then so on and so on. What is it about water and queer placemaking? That, that, why does that keep happening? Yeah, I mean, one of the ideas behind queer placemaking and waterways is places that are a bit more remote and hard to get to can really provide a barrier 
you know, a protective barrier between us and the rest of the world. You know, Fire Island in particular, there is an incredible oral history project by Esther Newton on the history of Cherry Grove that talks a lot about, you know, it's far enough from New York. It's not so far. It's not as far as a place like Provincetown. That can be like a six to eight hour drive. It's a two hour drive in a ferry. You know, it's like you can get away for even a day and how meaningful that is. Even though Fire Island is hard to access, you know, it's still more accessible than other places. And there's enough of a barrier. It's like you're far enough away from the city that you can experiment and explore and have these revelatory experiences. I mean, it's still a very difficult place to go, but I've been doing a lot of interviews and talking to elders who live out there. And something that um, was shared with me on this most recent trip was that Cherry Grove and Fire Island, was one, which is the sort of more historic village, there's many villages and, and many towns on Fire Island and Cherry Grove is one of them. The Pines is another. Um, but Cherry Grove was one of the first places that um, Black New Yorkers were allowed to swim. It wasn't segregated water. And there are all these histories and there are all these ways in which these places become respites and they become sanctuaries. And I just think mm-hmm. it's really true. And there's also just something really sexy about rocks and sand and dunes and the lapping of water. I mean, it just all is very sensate. And I do think that invokes and appeals to queer people. Yeah, and it makes me think about, you know, I texted you this before, but I was rereading Audre Lorde's um, A Litany for Survival. It's a poem that's just incredible. And, you know, she writes on the top of the poem, for those of us who live at the shoreline, standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial and alone, for those of us who cannot indulge the passing dreams of choice, who love in doorways, coming and going, in the hours between dawns, looking inward and outward at once, before and after, seeking a now that can breed futures, like bread in our children's mouths, so their dreams will not reflect the death of ours. And she continues on talking about those of us that live under deep oppression in this country. And something about beaches and us sitting on beaches feels like a threshold or like a literal border of what could be and what is. I would love to hear what you think about that, because I've just been thinking about like place and beach and how you're sitting between two places at once and why we as queer people, you know, to quote Gloria Anzaldúa, are such border walkers of identity and space. And it feels like beaches are that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that poem by Audra. And, you know, she was a beach person herself. She spent the last years of her life in St. Croix. You know, I mean, she. Oh, yeah. Um, and she wanted to ride out the rest of her cancer along the water. And um, I mentioned Alexis Pauline Gums before, but, you know, she's a resident Audra scholar and she has all these images that she shared online of her on beaches, on water, on, you know, in a canoe. I mean, you know, she loved the sea and she also frequented Reese. Like she writes about it in Zami and there is a photo of her on Reese Beach, which is really (laughs) incredible. I need it to be printed out and framed. Why haven't I done that? I need to do it. And I think that there is something about water that is so transformative. It does feel like a rebirth. There is a way in which you lose track of yourself on the water. It's hard to keep up with time. You know, you can't really read screens. Like you can't really have a quick trip to the beach always. Like you can, but that's kind of the antithesis of what it means to be at the beach. And I think, you know, the thing I love about that poem is Audrey's really talking about being caught in between two spaces and neither of them really working. And so this kind of constant hovering, this constant horizon, I guess, you know, which is the way uh, Jose Esteban Munoz talks about queerness is this place where you're never really departing or arriving. And I think that suits so much of the way I like to think about queerness and 
queer theory and my own identity, which is always arriving or never arriving. And, and it's, mm. there's something so freeing and very not straight, right, about being in a little bit of limbo and embracing that uncertainty and that possibility for transformation, which again is like being by the water can suspend everything else. At least for me, when I'm by the water, I just become very invested in trying to figure out like what the water is doing so that I can exist alongside it. Like it just demands other things of me, um, a type mm -hmm. of respect, a type of presence, right? The first rule of the ocean is don't turn your back on the ocean. You have to mm -hmm. really honor that body of water. And Dion Brand, who's an incredible Trinidadian Canadian poet writes a lot about this in uh, a map to the door of no return. And she also talks about forever being suspended in a doorway in this really moving way. Um, and so I think those two things are just always going to be connected. And what's so beautiful how, about how you're talking about these places is that they're kind of these, I don't want to say liminal, but you know, these third spaces where we get to go and be released from all these structures around us, you know, of time, of labor, of potentially identity, it kind of lets you go. And that's all happening in these spaces and they have been happening for so long, but it feels lately that these spaces are becoming less and less frequent or available to us. You know, when we think about Zipolite, it is going through its own gentrification process from, you know, white gay men, but after white gay men come straight people who probably aren't engaging the same queer practices. Uh, you look at Provincetown, it's transforming a lot to becoming, you know, straighter or just wealthier, but less queer and accepting and accessible. And Fire Island famously is always in that conversation. So I'd love to know, what do you think about the future of these places? Where do they sit within the larger politic of, I think, queer equality, but just queer life and for all of us? Yeah. So many books and films and thinkers come to mind. I love Sarah Shulman's Gentrification of the Mind, which I think is a really valuable resource. It's a, it's a pretty quick read. Um, some of her books are so big, but that's, that's a pretty great one to pick up. And I refer to it often because I, I think it does refer to a kind of poverty of ideas. And it, it's talking a lot about complacency and it's talking a lot about seeding space and... Mm you know, the need for vigilance, the need for secrecy, and also a recognition that there always is an evolution. And I, and I don't want to make light of the very real world impacts of gentrification and how we all participate in it because we just do. Um, and mm -hmm. our phones make it even easier because we're constantly sharing and documenting and giving people ideas. But I mentioned Tourmaline earlier, and who's a big influence in my life and someone who I really um, just rely on as a North Star and a guiding light in my life. And something Tourmaline always says is that, you know, this is always happening and it doesn't make it less tragic and it doesn't mean we don't grieve it. But thinking about the Chelsea Piers and thinking about, you know, there's a new documentary out on HBO called The Stroll about yeah. Black trans sex workers along the piers. I mean, the piers are like, mini golf courses now you know and mm -hmm. and i think there's something to not losing that history or not remembering alvin baltrop's work and that documentation and understanding that as part of our queer history too and also that we exist within a city and by the way new york in some ways is kind of like a metaphor for the rest of the country but you know we exist in a place that pretends or purports or wants to celebrate and, and say it prizes certain cultures and certain identities and marginalized groups but still continues to take advantage of that cultural capital that we build and then kind of litigate, develop, 
uh, erase us out of those places. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just such an ongoing trend in New York. Understanding that helps me really frame the context within which, you know, the existential th threats that we're facing, which are true nationally. And so I think I'm, I'm sort of trying to put all of these things into context and sort of understand what then preservation and resistance can look like. I also don't know that, I mean, Fire Island has been so exclusive for so long anyway that it's it's that's a harder one for me to weigh in like i feel grateful mm -hmm. when i can fit in and i feel grateful when i can spend time there it's also a place where i know that the og residents are really concerned and and thinking about um preserving that space and they want young people especially young people of color to know that history know that they belong there too and i know they're working on that actively so i do think there is a sense of like hooking into people, organizations, entities that are already invested in that kind of preservation. Um, and it brings me a lot of comfort because it's not, these aren't standalone efforts. These are long ongoing concerns, like you mentioned, um, where people are thinking actively about what do we want these places to look like? And what are the next places too? I mean, that's, that's something that's always intriguing to me too. Like what are the little upstate lakes now that are becoming mm -hmm. more gay? And like, what are the, you know, queer i'm going back to the queer bathhouses because that's a thing right now like you know these queer spa nights are becoming a thing in new york and so that is kind of a waterway too and so it's i'm, I'm just kind of yeah. always interested in the ebbs and flows and the tidal changes of where we find refuge yeah i love that you're bringing up refuge right now because it feels more important than ever with all this legislation there's been what over 500 bills that have passed through different state legislatures over the past year that to me, focus on erasing queer bodies in public, you know, it's whether they're bathrooms, whether it's schools, it's all about taking the queer public body out of public sight. I'd love to know how you see kind of this future of placemaking as a refuge and what advice for people you have trying to find these places where they feel safe. Because I don't think we could say like, you know, I'd love to say, go to a nude beach, it's going to stop Ron DeSantis from taking away your rights. It's just not the case. But I think as we have those bigger fights, there's little you know, micro interventions we all can make in our own lives to make ourselves feel good, have queer family, have queer space. So I'd love to hear what you're thinking about that and how people can navigate that themselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a, a dearly beloved mutual, Chase Strangio, who is fighting mm -hmm. the good fight against all these uh, anti-trans legislations and laws. And Chase is such a great source on Instagram and the internet of just like what exactly is happening and what you can do. And so I always point people because he's just so generous with his time and his resource. Yeah. Um, same with Raquel Willis. They're both, you know, often collaborating on that as well and pointing to other people too. So they're just great resources and people to follow who are really invested in trying to do as much as they can to bring that light um, forward. And Chase always reminds me that as much as he is invested in the legal aspect of all of this, to paraphrase just conversations that Chase and I have had and that Chase has via Instagram Live all the time, the laws really are only ever meant to uphold dominant culture, right? Mm. They don't make space for us. And so we have to fight back against them. We have to think about them. We have to be aware of them because they do impact our lives. They impact the most vulnerable of our communities. And they're not also really ever going to be concerned. Like we're never going to find validation through the legal system. And that's something that also mm. came up 
when I was working on a story about um, this incredible um, Black scholar, Black studies, Christina Sharp, who also talks a lot about this. If we understand the American legal system as an upholder and enforcer of Black death, and that will never change, then what do you do? Right. And how do you yeah. live? And I think both Chase and Christina and other people who think along those lines have found really a lot of optimism. And that looks like, I mean, embodiment is a complicated word and a word that I think is actually quite ableist because it's there's no universal definition. So I want to be really careful using mm-hmm. it. But I do think that finding and accessing pleasure, and I don't just mean, you know, eating delicious things and dancing and shopping and all that. that I think that can be mm-hmm. part of it. But I think really understanding one's right to pleasure and one's right to happiness and one's right to, right, those things are liberty as being key elements of this broader resistance in some ways, even if it's fleeting and momentarily, that being able to really embrace and access and feel aliveness when the dominant culture and be and to be clear i don't i'm not saying this is i mean the dominant like legal culture right because i don't actually believe this is like the dominant culture of our country i just don't um but the dominant legal culture wants us to feel like we might as well be dead that when you can really access even a fleeting glimpse of aliveness that is so big and that is so real. And that is something that is passed down through lineages. And there are so many examples of that throughout history and throughout time, throughout anybody who is not part of a dominant group and people of the global majority. We've always tapped into that and use those moments to get us through the hardest times. And sometimes the joy and the pleasure and the aliveness are really small compared to the incredible, mm-hmm. overwhelming, crushing oppression that many of yeah. us feel, if not all of us feel on a regular basis. But I do think those glimpses get us through. And that's yeah. why I'm such an advocate of, yeah, making time to find your beach, to quote that really lovely mm-hmm. uh, Zadie Smith essay, but whatever that means for you, right? And, and I'm, I'm really mindful too, because a lot of people don't like the beach and a lot of people don't like the water. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair and fine. You know, that meme around 4th of July that was like, um, if you're enjoying fireworks, like you and me didn't grow up the same. And I was like, you know what? Facts. <laughs> Facts. T. That, that, that's that's so real. I, I did not see that meme. But yeah, your comfortability with pop, pop, pop says a lot about you and not about you at the same time <laughs> for many people. Um, to close our conversation today, this word aliveness is really, you know, hitting my body really hard in a, in a really wonderful way because I think that's the word I felt yesterday on the beach was aliveness because I am a person that likes beaches, that likes water. But when I would go to them, whether it was Fire Island or Provincetown or whatever, I would feel the the, the weight of the world on me, on the my body may not look like that person or I may not be the color of that person or the gender expression. All these things came hitting me and the clothing and like all the other accoutrement I had on me where these shields I thought were protecting me. But I found for me, and I feel like you've had the similar experience in Zipolite and other beaches, is that when I let them go, I realized, oh, my body was enough. And in that moment, I felt really alive. I think those are the moments. And I I really do think that even this poem that you're invoking by Audre Lorde is about that. You know, it's, it's for those of us who live at the shoreline, for those of us 
who are afraid when the sun rises and afraid when the sun sets, for those of us who don't experience peace, find it anyway. I mean, that's that's one of the through lines for me of that poem. Find it anyway. Do it anyway. That's the best piece of advice I got writing and really for living too, which was uh, my friend Kambui, who's an incredible painter and artist, was like, just do it scared. Yeah. That's really it. That's really it for me. Yeah. Because sometimes fear, sometimes, and this has a lot of caveats in it, but many times fear, like my fear going to the beach was really my body kind of letting me know some information that was really helpful for me to find out when I got there about my own anxieties that weren't real, my own, you know, issues from the past that, you know, I didn't need to deal with. I didn't need to hold on to anymore. I could let go. Um, and I think sometimes fear of something can be a really great learning moment if you have the safetyness around you, if you have like a partner or a person to go with. Um, so I love that your friend said that because that's so true. Fear can be sometimes really great for us. Mm. Yeah, it's always good to access a fear journey with the help of a spiritual practitioner or a mental health professional. Yes. <laughs> These are not easy, easy, I guess, yeah, waters to traverse, but really important to do so if you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. This was just so wonderful and everything my soul needed. And I'm so glad we got the, the space and time and that you're in my life. And now people can hear this conversation because I said... <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know if I told you this, but when we were talking about guests, um, everyone was talking about the friend they want to bring on. And I said, I want Jenna Wortham and I want to talk to Jenna about water for an hour. And Sam and Saeed were like, what? Water? <laughs> and we did it. We did it. And I think people should enjoy it. I mean, yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff and I just adore you. So truly anytime. Oh my God, I adore you. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I hope you have a beautiful summer and I hope I see you soon. You will. You better. Yeah, I will. I will. Thank you for tuning in to this special bonus episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform and tell a friend, tell another friend, tell your mama, tell whoever. Special thank you to Jenna Wortham. Huge thank you to our producer, Chantel Holder, engineer Sam Kiefer and Brendan Burns, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brendan Sharp from Agenda Management and Production, and my boyfriend for dragging me to a beach. As always, we want to hear from you, so don't forget you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram at at Zachstaff, at The Ferocity, and at Sam Sanders. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod wherever you use social media, including threads. Special thank you to Jenna Wortham, who you can follow on Twitter at Jenny Deluxe. And stay tuned for another episode this Wednesday, very soon. Until then, bye. Stitcher. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.